We are grateful for the gifts of the Idlewild Choir. Grateful for the way in which music does indeed, as Janine mentioned earlier, as a forever piece for us, how it shapes our worship together. If you haven't joined us in the last couple weeks, Janine did give you a preview just a little bit ago of our sermon series that we're working through, Forever Pieces. What are the, the physical pieces, but also some of the spiritual pieces of, of our faith that are forever a part and need to forever be a part of who we are as Idlewild Presbyterian Church? That's the question that really prompts us in this series. And today, we focus on the cross focus on the cross. So we read from the gospel of Luke of the crucifixion, and now we read from the epistles of Hebrews, the 12th chapter, verses 1 through 3. Let us listen once again for God's word to each of us and to the church. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin that clings so closely. And let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who for the sake, for the sake of the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, disregarding its shame, and has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such hostility against himself from sinners, so that you may not grow weary or lose heart. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord endures forever. Amen. Of all the symbols, of all the forever pieces that we will wrestle with and have wrestled with and will over the next couple weeks, Perhaps this one, the cross, is the most peculiar. It's the most peculiar. You know, it's also probably the most controversial because of its different meanings. But it's peculiar because what we have done as people who follow in the ways of Jesus Christ, we have made central a symbol that is, in essence, a symbol of imperial power. Uh, If we were to try to draw a parallel between the cross of 2,000 years ago and modern America, uh, we might indeed center a noose in this place if it was 100 years ago. If it was 30 years ago, perhaps an electric chair. If it's today, perhaps it's a syringe and a chair with straps on it. It's an odd thing for us to center in our life together. I wonder what Mary, the mother of Jesus, would think as she walked into many Christian churches across our country and across the world and and saw the symbol of the cross as a central forever piece of what church means and what it looks like. I wonder how she would, would see it, this time empty of her son. I imagine it would still hold deep amounts of grief and pain and hurt, and yet we've made it central, and I wonder, I wonder if we might today wrestle with why it is we have done that. So let's start with why perhaps we have decentralized the cross because of its controversial nature. 
we have often, I believe, not focused too much on the cross because the cross for each of us in our journey, and perhaps some more than others, has had a rather negative connotation to it. We start with what does it mean? Well, for for us as Presbyterians, it means one thing, but in other traditions, it might mean something completely different. A shorthand of what the cross means could, could be that it means salvation for those who choose Christ. It could mean substitutionary atonement, blood shed for us, a toll levied on the body of Jesus that all creation might benefit. When we ask the question of what does it mean for some, it's a very simple answer. It means the death that was necessary for each of us to have life. It turns out, though, that 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 simple answer um, doesn't provide much comfort over the long haul or even much motivation to follow in the ways of Jesus. If the central argument of the Christian faith is that 2,000 years ago God died for us and that should motivate us today in the here and now to living righteous and good lives, then I hate to tell you, but I think that message is falling short of its intended purpose. The cross seemingly has less motivational power than it did some years ago. Perhaps if we stood at the foot of it and watched our Savior die, it would be one thing, but we don't do that. We look at an empty cross, perhaps as a piece of jewelry, perhaps adorning some part of our office or our home. So instead of asking, what does the cross mean, I wonder if there might be different questions that we could ask of the cross. Different and deeper questions, like, what does it reveal about us and about God? I want to posit to you that the cross at least reveals four important things for us this day. Ones that don't take us back 2,000 years, they bring us right to today. The cross and the violence that was perpetrated on it against our Savior reveals the insidious nature of violence. Indeed, the story of the cross is that God endured the violence of an empire, took the weight of that pain and violence in nails and in tears and ultimately in giving his last breath. The cross reveals the insidious nature of violence, but that doesn't seem to help us understand that even today, as we continue in cyclical violence against each other and in midst of the world and our body politic. The the cross also reveals to us, Richard Rohr would say, our great sin. That is, we... As God's people, we kill what we should love over and over again. We, as humanity, we kill what we should love. And so God takes on flesh and moves through the world with grace and healing and forgiveness, makes people whole again, and we kill that God. 
the God that we should embrace, be grateful for, because that God isn't what we want that God to be. That God does not triumph over all the other powers in the world. Instead, that God is meek, indeed, is willing to yield to the powers of this world, to show what real love looks like. As I was wrestling with the question of what the cross reveals, I was doing some reading of Howard Thurman, a good friend, had passed along a book that was influential for me. Perhaps you've read it, Jesus and the Disinherited. Thurman, Thurman brings forth this belief that the cross reveals Christ's kinship with the persecuted and the violated and the vulnerable in the world. Thurman says, when we look at the cross, what we should see is that in the midst of all the brokenness and hurt that we see in the world, Christ is there. As Craddock says, I used to think where Christ is, there is no misery. Now I realize where there is misery, there Christ is. From Thurman's perspective, wherever the spirit of Jesus appears, the oppressed gather fresh courage. For Christ announced the good news that fear and hypocrisy and hatred and violence, they have no true dominion in this world or the next. Final thing that the cross reveals to us is that the power of God at work in the world exposes the powerlessness of evil in the world. Death does not have the final say. Never. It's interesting then. If the cross isn't just about some salvific act that happened 2,000 years ago, but is indeed about for us revealing the insidious nature of violence, then we might be changed by watching and looking and reflecting on the cross. It might change the way that we move through the world. If it's about for us revealing the great sin of killing what it is that we're supposed to love, then perhaps we will not do that any longer. If it is about us recognizing God's kinship with the most vulnerable in our society, perhaps our hearts might be changed to know that we are to reflect that same kinship. It seems to me that this peculiar forever peace, the cross, it also calls us to recognize something here and now in 2021. We are to recognize first our kinship with the persecuted, the violated, the oppressed, the vulnerable, but we are also to recognize something else. That Christ on the cross enters into and endures the pain of the world, bodily pain, but also spiritual. And if we believe that to be true, if we recognize that when we look at the cross, then what we know to be true is that Christ will understand our pain too. Christ will understand the pain that we carry into this place this day. Perhaps it's grief or hurt or fear. If indeed on the cross we can recognize Christ's ability to endure and be present in that pain, then perhaps we might know that Christ can understand the pain of all creation. 
And if that's true, it means that even in our city in the last few weeks, Christ has understood and has been in the midst of the pain of the Rayner family. The families impacted by violence at the coming school. If it's true that Christ is made known in the pain of this world, then then Christ was made known in the shooting at the Kroger just a few weeks ago. It seems to me that whatever it is we've imagined the cross to symbolize as a forever peace for us, it falls short of what it truly can and perhaps should symbolize for us. You know, the author of the epistle of Hebrews invites the people to take note of this great cloud of witnesses that they are walking alongside with. And then the author speaks about Christ and the crucifixion. The words of Hebrews chapter 12. Let us look to Jesus the pioneer and perfecter of faith who for the sake of joy, for the sake of joy that was set before him endured the cross, disregarding its shame. That's a really interesting phrase there. For the sake of joy. The author seems to be saying that Jesus, that for Jesus the cross was a part of the journey. A part of the journey that Christ was on. And it was a part of the journey that had great suffering and even death, but it did not have the last word for Jesus' life or for ours. Here's what I imagine, church. The cross of Christ that we make a forever peace here, it makes a claim. It claims that new life springs forth from death. New life springs forth from death. And here's what I imagine. If the only message that the Church of Jesus Christ or Idlewild Presbyterian Church can proclaim regarding the cross with any integrity is that new life springs forth from death, then that will be enough. It will be enough for our children when they are hurting. It will be enough for our teenagers when they are heartbroken. It will be enough for our young adults when they are searching. It will be enough for our elderly as they grieve. If new life springs forth from death, it will be enough for our marriages and for our parenting. It will be enough for our hospital rooms and even our gravesides. It will be enough for our public forums and our classrooms, for our counselors' offices and our prisons, our political discourse and our AA meetings, our working for justice and our sojourning for peace. New life springs forth from death. So the claim that we make this morning is that the cross is a forever peace, which is a weird thing to do because for every other forever peace I've been able to point for the font, for the, for the table, for the Bible, for even music, we can look to our choir, look to your hymnals. The cross doesn't have as prominent of a place here. Save one our foundation of this sanctuary, 1928. The foundation laid in this place was in the shape of the cross. We might call it donut side, 
and Riverside or the penalty box, but what we actually have here, what we are sitting in the midst of, is a forever symbol, a forever piece of who we know ourselves to be. And our hope and our trust and our belief is that every time we sit in the midst of this cross, we might recognize and know that this cross symbolizes God in the midst of pain, symbolizes Christ's kinship with the most vulnerable in our society, symbolizes for us that indeed new life can spring forth from every dead and broken place. So as we sit in the midst of this forever peace today, as you sit in the midst of whatever pain or hurt that you are knowing this day, as we move through the world that knows brokenness and vulnerability for so many, as we sit in the midst of this forever peace today, may we be reminded May we be reminded once again, reassured of Christ's presence here. And may this cross inspire us as a community of faith, both now and forever. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, one God, Mother of us all. Amen.